Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. their 2023 recruiting cycle with a big boom could have been bigger but they are 100 happy with what they got out of it hello everybody and welcome back to charge on as always i'm your host sean green before we get started just want to say a huge uh thank you uh last week's episode was our biggest to date uh you know it, we put a lot of work into the show uh we it's we've only been really going for you know five six months like we say and it's it's amazing to see, um, you know, the hard work kind of paying off, and and a great big episode. Hello to all of our new, you know, Big Twelve uh, subs from all the other teams. It was great chatting with you in the comments section. Uh, and listen, uh, Rob, I will say uh, hello, but you you are a very um, I, I don't want to say hated because I don't think you're hated, but a lot of fans called you out in our comments section for the nine and three record for saying that UCF would beat Texas tech, the, 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 the Raider fans or the red Raider fans are, you know, out in full force, uh, to, to come for your neck, but how are you doing? And, uh, again, just want to say thank you to all our fans, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, listen, I didn't even say if I, if I remember correctly, I didn't even say like, UCF was for sure going to beat Texas Tech. I said it could go either way, but I thought ultimately UCF would win out. Um, no, listen, I I have no idea what's going to happen. Do I actually think UCF goes nine and three? No, I. But taking it game by game, you just kind of have to see what's on the slate for the season. We'd have no idea what happens until the season actually starts. It's very plausible that UCF loses to Boise State and Texas Tech. So nine and three could easily be seven and five very 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 easily so i am not one of those people that's going to write and be like oh ucf bet on them nine and three nine and three let's go um you know it's very i didn't even realize it was nine and three until we got through the entire schedule um so that's all i got to say about that but listen we're moving past that i i have no idea what this team is going to look like but i do know that the team has a much better shot on defense now uh, after the recent commit that they got, recent signee that they got, and I think was pretty pretty much a shock to everybody um, that we got one of the Harris twins in. Yeah, we're going to talk about it, but you know, before we get into it, subscribe. If you are on with any team in the Big Twelve that is not UCF, we'd love to have you. Because guess what? I learned a lot of um, a lot of new things. I learned I mispronounced uh, Texas Tech's quarterback's name wrong, uh, which I knew one hundred percent I would do. Uh, I learned that we definitely characterized uh, Tech's quarterback situation wrong about how everything went down. Um, but that's what we kind of needed. Uh, I did a one-hour you know, study sesh uh, for every single Big 12 team. We're bound to not know something. So from now until the season starts, please, if you are, obviously if you're a UCF fan, we'd love to have you. But if you are not a UCF fan and you're a Big 12 fan and you are kind of keeping up on you know, the f- other ally big 12 podcast please give us a, a subscription and uh please let us know down in the comments below what we're saying if it's right or wrong we definitely want to hear your feedback um so let's get into it rob 
a good chunk of UCF news this week um, and more broad scope college football news. Uh, but let's get into the big news for UCF. Last week, we put up an episode and the next day, I knew beforehand that Andrew and Michael were going to commit the day after we put that episode up. Um, so was, I was like, Ugh, you know, I really wanted to put the episode out because it was a number one long episode where we're going through the schedule. Um, and I w- if we were to get one of them, I wanted to have a video for it. But I'm going to be honest. I didn't think we were getting either of them. Like, I, listen, after Travis Williams left, the assumption was they were coming to UCF for Travis Williams. The 2023 class, the Harris twins were Travis Williams kind of main recruits. Because if you look at all of our other recruits, it was a bunch of other coaches like Coach Kenny Martin. Like Those were the coaches that recruited some of our main guys, right? And Travis Williams, main recruit for the Harris twins. So as soon as he left, they decommitted within two days of him leaving, right? So we just all assumed, listen, that's a big loss. You get to, That was two four-star linebackers, hometown heroes that you're losing, right? It kind of right off the bat in two, four, on 247 Sports said that he they were going to Maryland, both of them. Every single Maryland beat writer had him pegged to go to the Terps. So for the next, I don't know, it was like a month and a half, right, Rob? We kind of just, I, I would check 247 every day. I'd check Twitter, see what they're liking. Nick doesn't believe, our co-host Nick does not believe in checking Twitter. I am a big proponent in checking Twitter likes and retweets. I think that you can get a good sense of where a player is leaning. Now, in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter, right? At the end of the day, they're going to pick where they want to go. And, you know, checking Twitter doesn't do anything. But every once in a while, I check Twitter. And I said on the podcast a couple weeks ago, I said, it looks like Michael is way more leaning to UCF than Andrew. Michael was liking a lot of UCF stuff, retweeting a lot of UCF stuff. And Andrew wasn't liking practically anything. A couple days before the announcement, Michael retweeted, Michael and Andrew retweeted uh, Braden Marshall's tweet saying hashtag twin you. And a lot of UCF players were retweeting that. Um, and posting that. So I'm like, okay, there might be a little traction here, but who knows? Steven Letter from 247 Sports does really good work for UCF. He posted crystal balls for both Michael and Andrew to UCF. Now, they were very low. You know, usually when you see a crystal ball, Rob, you see like if they're very confident, it's like an eight or nine. But if you're not so confident, it's very low, like three or four. And Steven posted a four. So I said, okay, it's toss up. Because there's some people still saying they're going to Maryland. Signing day comes. We had a couple other players that we were like, maybe they go to UCF. None of them kind of turned out to fruition. I think we'll talk about that a little. Javen Simpkins, he was, you know, on UCF's radar. I think we pulled the scholarship. I think we gave all the things that we needed to give with transfer and all that. And that's why he went to Coastal Carolina. But the day comes, Michael and Andrew are there. And the biggest shocker, I think, in on National Signing Day, to be completely honest, was the twins splitting up. Uh, once Michael Rob, once Michael put off, like took off his hoodie, or I don't even think he took off the hoodie, or he did, um, and the person threw him the Maryland hat. I'm like, okay, Andrew's Andrew's going to Maryland. Like I, I was, on, I was about to turn it off because I'm like, this is just gonna hurt my family. I'm just gonna turn it off. So it was a huge shocker when Andrew took off the hoodie and revealed UCF. I think it was shocking to everybody on Twitter because you don't ever expect twins to, to separate. 
especially twins like that who have been so conjoined in the recruiting process. It's just a, a foregone conclusion. You go back to when UCF got Shaquem and Shaquille, right? Shaquem wasn't as sought after. Shaquille was the kind of valued prospect. But Shaquille said, listen, I'm not going anywhere without my brother. I, If you want me, you have to take him. In this sense, very different circumstances, right? You have two four-star linebackers that many people wanted. Ar- listen, Travis Williams wanted them. They didn't even consider Arkansas, basically. Uh, UCF wanted them, and Maryland was close to getting both of them. So to see twins split up like that is very rare. And we're going to go into it. I know I'm speaking a lot, but Rob, kind of give your thought on it. I know we've been hoping that we would nab them. And what are your thoughts on nabbing Andrew and getting a top-tier linebacker like that in the class? Yeah, I think people had kind of written off, uh, including us. I mean, we kind of were just disregarding them and saying, okay, yes, they still have to verbally sign and commit, but, you know, I think a lot of us had written them off and said, all right, the Harris twins are not going to be something to factor in for UCF's future. So, yeah, it is a shock. I think, I mean, I think a lot when it comes to twins in football, I think a lot of people automatically assume that, you know, they're a package deal. And it seemed like everywhere they were getting crystal balled, um, that they were a package deal. You know, it's never Michael and Andrew. It's the Harris twins, the Harris brothers. You know, it's, it's never, it's always kind of considered a package deal. So, to see one of them go off to Maryland and see one of them stay behind at UCF, I think a lot of people had them both penciled in to go to Maryland. Um, I mean, you even look at the 247 stats and <laughs> the last crystal ball predictions, like you said, very low UCF four, Maryland six, uh, 83.3% of the expert predictions had them going to Maryland. 16.7% had them going to UCF. Had an- this is Andrew Harris alone. So I, I don't even know what Michael Harris's was, but this is Andrew Harris alone. It's Yeah, so there you go. I mean, it says it right there. Not a lot of confidence that they were going to stay behind. But Andrew, I personally think we've talked about this before. Andrew, I think, is a, a little bit better. They're both, don't, don't get me wrong, they're both high-end four-stars. Andrew's a little bit better. Obviously, one MVP at the Polynesian Bowl. I think he's a little bit more sought after. I think he's a little bit more of that sort of blue-chip prospect Um, blue chip recruit that people look after. So I'm very satisfied with what UCF got. I'd rather have one of them than none of them. Um, You know, who knows what happens at Maryland. Maybe he ends up flipping at some point. Uh, Michael does maybe, you know, maybe he has a great college career there. Who knows? But I think UCF is going to be very satisfied with Andrew. I think UCF fans are very surprised. I think they're very satisfied with retaining Andrew and not getting them to flip. Um, again, another thing we talked about was how rare it is to see guys decommit from a program and then still say, uh, we're going to keep you in our back pocket. We're, we're still going to, you know, have some interest in you and we're still going to list you, um, you know, on our, on our final list. And so that was kind of rare too. So the whole situation's kind of odd. I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but I'm very glad Andrew is going to be a part of this program in the near future. And listen, it is a position of need. Linebacker is a big position of need for the future. So very glad UCF was re- re- able to retain, which I think is the slightly better brother out of the twins. Coach Williams and coach Sims. I mean, I think the addition of coach Sims uh, was huge in this recruiting process because again, you lose your D coordinator and linebackers coach. And then to have your new D coordinator and new linebackers coach who listen, was in the NFL, got drafted as a top 10 draft pick, 
had a good, decent career, um, I think definitely helped. And for them to keep pushing and keep saying, listen, we want you and doing what you can to get, you know, the twins or one of them um, is special. I don't think any of them thought that they'd only get one of them. And I think that does say a lot about Andrew and Michael, the fact that they are mature enough to say, listen, we could be two of the top linebackers in the nation. Let's go do it ourselves, kind of do it because we can thrive by ourselves and see what happens. So, and there's a good little sibling rivalry there, like like it usually is, right? Um, there's that love, but there's also that, listen, I think I'm better and I want to go prove it and I can do it by myself and I don't need you there with me, even though I want you to be there. I want to I want to go prove what I can do. I don't think Andrew's going to see the field much in year one. I think he he does have some things to work on. He's a little bit smaller, um, but man flies. I mean, he flies around the football field, and and that's what UCF needs, especially in that position, right? Linebackers, you need to have speed, and if you're not, uh, I mean, especially in today's age of football, that is a huge disadvantage. But both Andrew and Michael can fly on the field. And I think that's going to help at some point. When might not be this year, might be very quickly though, depending on you know who they bring in, uh, depending on what injuries take place. But you're going to see Andrew Harris on the field, and like you said, you know who knows what happens in the future. Andrew said that Michael uh, can get very homesick, so yeah, who knows? In a year, he might be using up his transfer uh, to come back home and, and play with his brother. You, nobody knows. If I had to put money on it. I'm saying most likely Michael's back uh, back home playing for UCF in a year. Um, but it's good. Let him go to Maryland. And listen, like you said, he might have a great career there and play four years. And, you know, we might be saying, hey, we at least we got one of them because I, I find it very hard to believe Andrew's not going to be successful here. Um, but what a get. What a get. Huge get to end the 2023 class. Um, and now they move on to 2024. And you can already see they're, they're throwing some offers at some big hitters. They're trying to beat the record every single year. They're trying to get the best class in every single year, and I think they can do it. Uh, I mean, the recruiting week they, weekend they had a couple weeks ago was was huge. I mean, they had over 150 strictly invite players uh, to recruiting events, and that's, I think, what UCF is going to bring to the table in the Big 12. You're going to see them at the top of the Big 12 recruiting rankings every year because, again, who doesn't want to play in Florida – Central Florida has some of the best athletes, some of the highest ranked athletes in the nation. So recruiting in your backyard and then also going out and you have Georgia, Alabama, you have states where you can go nab some top tier talent too. So UCF is in a prime position. And yeah, I find it very hard to believe they don't beat this like next year, what they did this year. I think it's just going to keep improving um, and we'll definitely see, but big get by getting Andrew Harris to join Bounce House 23 class. All right, let's move on to some interesting news, Rob. I mean, uh, I'll be honest. I don't think any of us expected it, but uh, man's fighting for his job, so you have to appreciate it. Um, Gus Malzahn in the uh, press conference, he announced, uh, this took place last week, he announced uh, all of the recruits, the transfers, and answered a couple questions. And one of the questions, uh, I believe, was asked by Trace Chalco, but I could be wrong. Uh, asked, hey, what is it looking like uh, with John Rice Plumley kind of splitting time between baseball and football? Is that going to happen? Um, and here's what Gus said on JRP taking part in spring ball. 
Uh, John Rice is going to uh, go through uh, most of spring. We're still kind of working through that, but he's committed to, to doing that. And, uh, you know, we're committed to kind of making that work, but, but I expect him to be a part of, of most or all of spring. Most or all of spring, Rob. Listen, we just, we looked at the baseball schedule. We looked at it. We said there is absolutely no way that John Rice can participate in both. Because again, the baseball, it's almost a foregone conclusion. Listen, John Rice is going to go play baseball during these months. He's not going to be on the, the football team. Couple things, okay? Could be multiple things. And I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts down in the comments below. Because it's a very interesting situation. Either one, coaches and John Rice had a discussion where they're like, listen, we're getting a whole new playbook. This is what I personally think. Darren Hinshaw, whole new playbook. If Gus was the play caller and Gus was going to be the basically OC, I think uh, John Rice was probably going to play baseball and you're not seeing him until the fall. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to be doing too much different with the playbook. You might change it up a little bit. Hinshaw, brand new uh, playbook, bringing in new quarterbacks to potentially you know spice up a competition, see what you could do on offense. Probably they had a conversation or John Rice said, listen, I'll play spring. Let's figure it out because you could go into fall. If you don't play spring, like we've talked about, you're probably not going in the clear cut. Number one, Darren Hinshaw probably goes in loving one guy that is not named John Rice Plumley, and you got to fight for your job in fall. So that could be it. Number two could be, let's be honest. Let's, I don't know. I have no idea. We'll see fairly soon the baseball, you know, roster and, or not the roster, but, you know, who's starting and who's going to be playing a lot. Maybe John Rice is just not, and okay, I apologize to our UCF baseball fanatics if I am wrong on this. I have no earthly idea, but it could be John Rice is not a starter. John Rice is riding the bench for the baseball team, and they say, listen, we'll give you those however many practices to go take off and, and play sprint or, you know, play spring football. And then you come right back after spring football. Because what Gus said is we expect him to be at most, if not all, of spring practice in spring, right? So that's a good month or, or so, right, of spring ball. That could be a thing where they're like, listen, we don't really need John Rice for a certain number of times. He could join us when he can, but spring, he can he go spring. That could be something that they worked out prior. Rob, what do you think? I mean, I think automatically, we, we talked about it kind of behind closed doors, but I think this news is John Rice is your clear-cut number one starter going into next year unless one of these backups really impress Coach Hinshaw in spring. Most likely, John Rice is your starter. If he's literally splitting time and he's going to be at pretty much every single practice and play in the spring game, I find it very hard to believe that come fall, you're going to have a wide margin between these type of quarterbacks. The only way I saw that John Rice potentially doesn't start week one is if he came into fall ample behind the quarterbacks that are also on the roster, Castellanos, McLean. That's the only way. So if he's playing spring, John Rice Plumlee is your starter, and we could see how much he improved. Like, if he stays healthy and he improved, I think UCF probably goes to some of those records we were talking about. But if he doesn't improve and he stays kind of stagnant, 
I think the first year in the Big 12 could be probably disastrous if 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 not lethal for us. Yeah, I mean, I think I already kind of think it was John Rice Plumley's job to lose going into going into the fall, regardless whether or not he was taking the spring off. Um, but I respect the maturity. I respect that regardless of what the situation was. I definitely think Darren Hinshaw coming in certainly factors into that. And John Rice realizing, OK, listen, you know, I wasn't phenomenal last year. I know Gus has kind of hyped him up a little bit and Gus you know, kind of vouched for him a few weeks ago in that press conference where he was like, you know, I thought John Rice came, you know, a long way throughout the season, got better as the season went on. Um, You know, we kind of vouched for him. But listen, this is Darren Henshaw's playbook. So I definitely think John Rice realizes, hey, it's not a foregone conclusion that I'm going to start. Yes, I'm probably the favorite person to start out out of who's available. But you know, new playbook, new offensive coordinator. This guy wants his own system in there. Yes, I'm sure he's going to listen to Gus and, and value what Gus has to say. But at the end of the day, it's who fits his offense best. So if he doesn't get to see John, uh, John Rice Plumley in the spring, well, you know, Tommy Castellanos and Timmy McLean are there. So he gets to pick in between one of them. God, who knows? Maybe yeah. even Dylan Risk. I, I doubt it. But um, I guess he's not, according, um, I forgot who let me know. Uh, but I guess he might not even be playing in spring. He might not even be enrolled yet. That, so, that I mean, that makes sense. So yeah, really yeah. between three guys. Um, so yeah, I mean, John Rice splitting time. I don't know what his situation is with baseball. I don't follow college baseball all that much. I, I yeah. you know, I go to UCF baseball games, but I don't. I'm not that into the team, so I, I can't. You know, I'm not. I'm no expert on this team. <laughs> so uh, you know, I definitely think now that gives John Rice Plumley an upper hand. I mean, that it's pretty much says, okay, John Rice, everything's in your lap. You're going to play spring. You're going to get used to the playbook ahead of the fall. Let's see what you got. And I think the only way John Rice loses this is if he somehow looks like he's taken a significant step back in practice uh, and in spring camp um, and, and or Tommy Cassianos and Timmy McLean somehow show out and just completely wow Gus Malzahn and Darren Henshaw. I don't particularly see that happening. So I really think John Rice Plumley is going to be your starter week one. And again, God forbid, I'm not even going to put this into existence, but the only other thing is injury. So really yeah. it's John Rice Plumley's uh, job to lose, I think. And, and it's even more so that he's going to be participating in the spring. I know maybe a lot of, UCF fans don't want to hear that. I think a lot of people are unsatisfied with John Rice Plumley's play, but you know, hopefully it helps them. Hopefully getting that entire spring with the team, maybe it's off and on, whatever it is, whatever the situation is under a new offensive coordinator, maybe it'll help them. Maybe it'll get them stronger. And I think that's all you can really ask for. And I think Hinshaw can really, if, if Hinshaw's offense, I think there's balance is going to be number one. I think Hinshaw understands that. And I think that's what's going to be good about the offense is it's not going to just be a run-heavy thing. I think he understands, listen, you need to do both successfully to do well. And that's every college, you know, coordinator, depending on where they're at. One kind of prefers, you know, the other, right, running or passing. But I think Hinshaw really does understand if you do both successfully at UCF, you're going to be successful. I think I I, am, I like the idea. It makes me way more confident that John Rice is going to go through spring because I think Henshaw could really work with him. And if the mechanics or if his throwing needs a little bit of work or if the, you know his deep balls need some work, 
I think Hinshaw can come in and not saying Gus didn't do this, but Hinshaw being that former quarterback and maybe tell him, Hey, let's throw it this way. Let's, let's work on this. Like where are your eyes on this play? Cause one of the critiques on John Rice was, you know, he can get a little frantic in the pocket. He doesn't know if there's a guy on his back. And so figuring out that pocket awareness and listen, like we said, it was his first year playing quarterback in many years. So there was some trial and error in figuring it out. And I think I will say towards the end of the year, you saw a little bit of improvement in certain areas. I think reading the pocket, reading what people were doing was a little bit better. The knock has been, can he make the throws? So I think in spring ball, the positive we can go into it is credit to him playing two sports, one in season, one not, but actually going to practices. That's why I just assumed, I just assumed, well, how are you going to do both? There's no way you can do both. Go through baseball season while also going through football practice. I mean, I, I guess I'm stupid because then you have to think, Rob, okay, you have meetings during the spring. You have football meetings. Like you go pre-practice, probably go, go to a meeting, go have a practice. Then you do post meetings. Like, I don't know. I'm intrigued to see what the scheduling is. Like, is he just taking off baseball during that time? I would, I highly doubt it. If he's doing both, what is he not participating in? Because uh, unless again, he's just not going to participate in maybe a baseball practice prior to a game. I I have no earthly idea. I'm actually really intrigued by it. Um, I wish we could get him on this podcast because I would, it's very intriguing. Um, but I don't know. I think that's the number one thing. I'm I'm really impressed by him actually going through spring. And I think if Coach Hinshaw can really work with him and, and understand, listen, this guy's probably my starter next year. I'm going to work with the other quarterbacks and develop them as much as I possibly can in case JRP gets injured or for the next next year. But if he could really kind of fine-tune some of those you know mistakes that JRP made, I think the Big 12 is in for a scary realization because I think a lot of Big 12 teams and UCF fans just think if you, if they get the JRP from last year, UCF's probably going to lose a, a good chunk of games. But I think JRP is going to take a big leap if he can, if Hinshaw can work with him and he goes through spring and then goes into fall, kind of full steam ahead. I think this UCF team could go nine and three, Rob. Could go eight and four. That's, 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 it's all about the quarterback play. UCF has the talent. It's about the quarterback play. Um, and I just looked on the UCF baseball, you know, roster. A lot. He's an outfielder. There's a lot of outfielders. So I have no idea. I have no idea if he's a starter. I would assume he's a starter. I would assume. But I guess we'll see opening night for baseball, which is, I mean, geez, Rob, what, in a month or so? I feel like it's in a month. I know, again, like you said, huge baseball, college baseball fan over here. I don't know. I know it I know it starts here shortly. I know softball starts beforehand, but baseball is kind of, you know, about to start here soon, probably this month. But um we'll see. I, I'm really intrigued by spring. I know spring ball starts in about a month. So that and our roster's decided until after spring. After spring, then you might see some new transfers. You might see if there's a position of need. But as of right now, the roster is how it is. So very exciting times. Um, and we're full speed ahead to spring ball coming up soon. All right. One thing before we close it out, the Pac-12 is scared to death. 
uh, they are frightened to lose a lot of money and probably not be a conference here in the next decade. Um, basically, for those who don't keep up with the Pac-12, very brief statement on this is Big 12 or Pac-12 is trying to get more money. They are shopping around to networks to try to get their money rights deal. Kind of like how the Big 12 just got their deal signed with ESPN Fox. Forty, I forgot how much per school, but a good chunk of money per school. Definitely more than 40 million. I think it's around 40, 50, 60 million, right? Per school. Basically, Pac-12 is now doing that. Pac-12 kind of screwed themselves because the Big 12 said, okay, we're going to do it now instead of wait two years. So the Big 12 got that done, kind of screwing the Pac-12. Pac-12 shopped it around and kind of got a price point about 27, 28 million per school. Top teams in the Pac-12 are not having it. They said that is ridiculous. Now it is rumored that the Pac-12 is meeting with SMU and San Diego State University to expand potentially to try and get better media rights, to try to get more money in that deal, to kind of incentivize the pot for some of these other schools who again they could leave at any moment if they wanted. If they really wanted to, they could kind of cut some deals to try and say, see you to the Pac-12 and go get a new conference. The American, do I feel sorry for them? Um, yes and no. The way they traded UCF on the way out was kind of hurtful, especially for all they did for the conference to kind of put it on that national stage. Uh, but losing SMU for the American is, I mean, the... The non-Power 5 school uh, conferences, it, it's never been more wide open if the SMU, if SMU leaves. Not saying SMU is good right now by any means, but it is a prominent program in the American. It's been there for a while. And I think if you take SMU from the American, the American becomes pretty bad. I mean, at that point, it's probably Tulane. Tulane will become the next juggernaut of non-Power 5 um, or the group of five. But... I'll be honest, guys. To be completely honest, this is the perfect thing for the Big 12 to strike. I mean, Pac-12 schools are, are definitely not happy with with that media rights deal, right? They know the Big 12 kind of screwed them. We talked about it about a month ago, Rob, where there were rumors that you know Gonzaga would be coming to the Big 12 in that ba- in basketball sense, which makes me sick to think that you again UCF it already makes me sick to think UCF basketball is playing in the Big 12 but if Gonzaga got added it's like when are you ever going to be good i mean at some point you'll 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 get your good old college try but that's insane so there's still rumors that Gonzaga might be coming to the Big 12 the Pac 12 are trying hard to get them but when you're hearing all these reports number 1 it just does not look good for the Pac 12 at all it looks terrible uh, the fact that they would only be making that much money. If I am a school like Oregon, I'm saying, uh, absolutely not. Like we could go to the big 10 right now. We could go to the sec right now and make a boatload of money, but you're asking us to take $27 million per year. Uh, so the big 12 really screwed the pack tw- or, uh, yeah, the big 12 really screwed the pack 12 in that sense. If the big 12 wants to put a nail in the pack 12's coffin, and I'm sure Kamish uh, Brett Yormack is already talking with some of these schools behind closed doors is listen, you come with us, you know, possibilities are endless, you know, expansion talks are legit. 
I'm sure there are clauses in the Big 12 contracts that if we expand, the money will increase. So it only works for the Big 12. If they can now say, hey, we know you're not making a lot of money over at the Pac-12 in this next media rights deal. Come over here, probably add four schools, and we'll take care of you. I mean, and we kind of have an idea of who those four schools would be. I think Arizona, Arizona State are clear-cut two schools that definitely would come over. Maybe Washington, maybe Washington State. Those are another two. Um, But you really don't know. At the end of the day, I think this is perfect for the Big 12. And if you're a UCF fan, the Big 12 is setting up to be the number three conference in football. And one of the top conferences for, you know, if you're just looking at sports in general, the Big 12 is right up there. I think, unfortunately, and and also not unfortunately, the Pac-12 did not do enough to secure better media rights right off the jump. They did not really take expansion that seriously. They lost their top two money or two of their top three money makers in USC and UCLA right off the bat after the SEC deals. And then you're going to replace them with SMU, who doesn't really have a great football culture. It's been, you know, you're you're trying to go into the Texas mark, but everybody in Texas is taken up. And San Diego State, who you're just trying to go get a California team. So you're not really making a good mark on that. I think, I mean, if I'm the Pac-12, they would have loved to have BYU. You didn't go quick enough, so that hurts your brand in the long run. I think it's a matter of time before the Pac-12 loses some members. I think if I'm the Oregons of the world, I'm already trying to figure out ways where I can leave the Pac-12. That's a lot easier said than done. But this is perfect for the Big 12. And I think this also really hurts if I'm the ACC. I mean, if you're looking from an ACC standpoint, you went and you signed a contract through 2035, and that's really hurting you right now because nobody wants to, if I'm the SEC, nobody wants to pay your buyout. Or if I'm a school, nobody wants to pay the buyout if I'm a Clemson, Florida State, Miami. So they're kind of stuck. So all of these other, you know, the Big 12, SEC, and Big 10 are going to kind of drive away with it, you might say. And you're going to have two conferences that are going to be clear-cut bottom two. And hell, I don't even know if the Pac-12 will be a thing in three, four years. It, it might, but I, I think there's a there is a chance that the Pac-12 kind of turns into what people thought the Big 12 might turn into. A group of five, you know, conference, which is still a possibility. Who knows? But Rob, I know I just went on a tangent per usual, but kind of... Give your thoughts on that situation. I mean, what do you think in the span of the Pac-12 looking to expand? What does SMU and San Diego State do for the Pac-12 in kind of broadening that? Do you think they could get a lot more if they add those two schools? And then if I'm, if you're the Big 12, kind of where do you go from here? Knowing, listen, they're probably going to add those two schools. Those two schools are going to join the Pac-12. They're, they're, if, if they get offered... They're signing because they want to get out of the group of five. And right now, the Pac-12 is not a group of five. Do you think the Pac-12 will get a lot more money by adding those two schools? Or do you think it's it's just inevitable that some of these schools end up leaving? Yeah, I mean, I would probably place my money on those schools leaving. Listen, I mean, USC and UCLA are arguably in the biggest market for college football, right? I'm maybe not, maybe not uh, traditionally speaking, right? They're not really college towns. But it's yeah. Los Angeles. 
I mean, you're losing two Los Angeles-based schools. Pasadena's 20 minutes, no traffic. I know that's kind of rare for SoCal, but, uh, you know, Pasadena's 20 minutes from downtown LA. USC, the Coliseum, is right downtown in the heart of LA. Uh, I mean, you're losing a huge sports market. So, to have that go to the Big Ten, you know, Big Ten has all these big traditional schools like Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, you know, big, huge football towns. But now you're adding Los Angeles. Now you're adding a real actual sports market that's not just based on college football. Not only that, you're adding two programs that are complete blue bloods. I mean, you're adding UCLA, who's a blue blood in basketball, and you're adding USC, who's a blue blood in football, and are actually back to kind of where they're supposed to be um, program-wise with Lincoln Riley. So, you have USC. UCLA was pretty good last year, uh, football. USC was damn good last year besides their defense. Um, and then in basketball, I mean, UCLA is always near the top, always in the tournament. USC is doing decently this year. Um, but you have two schools that are going to bring it in basketball and football. And the Pac-12 is not really doing anything to replace them. I mean, you just lost your biggest market, and now you're going to add SMU, who is, what, fifth or sixth fiddle in Texas, and you're adding San Diego State. I mean, maybe. I mean, it's not even finalized, but maybe you add yeah. them. So, I don't know. I, I think the Pac-12 is screwed. Um, I think we knew that as soon as UCLA and USC said, hey, we're leaving in 2024 to go to the Big Ten. I think the writing was on the wall. We kind of have a feeling that the Big 12 is probably going to absorb maybe Arizona, maybe Arizona State. I know there was talks about absorbing Oregon as well. Ultimately, I think Oregon ends up probably the next five years probably ends up in the Big 10 as well just to join USC and UCLA. Um, Makes sense for them too. Washington will end up leaving. So, what is the Pac-12 left with? You're left with Wazoo. You're left with maybe San Diego State, maybe SMU. Um, and it pretty much turns into a group of five conference, if not completely dissolves and all those teams go elsewhere. So, really, I think the Pac-12 is not in a good place. Um, the Big 12, alternatively, I think a lot of people thought, hey, the Big 12 maybe not going to last. Big 12 could, couldn't be in a better position right now. I mean, right on the outside looking in, I mean... There's claims that the football aspect right now is better than the Big Ten. There's a lot of really good Big 12 schools um, in football, and they're adding more. They're adding four more schools. Houston's a blue blood in basketball. BYU's a solid program all around. Houston, uh, I already said Houston. Uh, Cincinnati's an all-around good program. UCF, obviously. We we know how solid our Knights are at, at different sports, and especially football and uh, I'm not going to say men's basketball because uh, they're really letting us down this season. But, uh, well, we'll look past that. But, no, I mean, the Big 12 is adding four solid schools. And over the next five years could add maybe two Pac-12 schools, maybe Oregon. You know, who knows? But, yeah, I think the Pac-12 is completely screwed. Um, I, I don't really see them pulling out of this because what, what's the reason to up their media rights deal? There's there's no reason to watch. What What's the biggest with Arizona now? I, I think Arizona is probably the biggest market now. Them and Eugene, Oregon. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's what you do with it, right? Because a lot of people, when you know Texas and Oklahoma announced they're going to SEC, there I I knew I saw a lot of comments, and a bunch of people said, "Oh, the Big Twelve's done." I mean, what is the Big Twelve going to do? That's going to keep them in a Power Five position. And I think a lot of the question was saying, like, okay, who, regardless of who you add. 
that's just going to become a group of five program. Like, and that's that was the fear. I think as soon as the Pac-12 stuff happened with UCLA and USC, again, it's what you do with the situation you get put in. Okay, obviously, you know the SEC and the Big Ten are trying to make the two super conferences. They're trying to do whatever they can to get the top conferences in football and in sport, in college sport, and trying to make those super conferences to rake in the most media rights money. That's obvious. But there's so much money in college sports. So how do you get it? How, if I'm a commissioner of the Pac-12 or Big 12, how do I make sure that I don't get left in the dust and I don't get a piece of the bigger pie? The Big 12, Brett Yormack, to his credit, and to uh, the previous commissioner's credit, said, we know what we are. We need to understand where we're at in this kind of platform, in this cycle, and make sure we we make the most of it. Brett Yormack gets the deal with ESPN and Fox and says, all right, and I think it was a really good deal. Like it, They didn't really get less than they thought, and obviously they maybe could have got more if you go an extra year or two, but you also could have got less. So doing the deal that they did now put the Big 12 in a great position, and now nobody's really saying, oh, the Big 12 are going to disband, the Big 12 are going to be gone, because everybody knows like the Big 12 did exactly what they needed to when you lose schools like Texas and Oklahoma to make sure you're still relevant. Because the Big 12, and it helps. TCU's in the college football playoff. They obviously didn't do good in the championship game, but it showed that the Big 12 can still be relevant and they still have a a bunch of good teams, and especially in basketball. They're the number one basketball conference in college. So when you're looking at some of these Pac-12 teams, I mean, listen, if if I am Brett Yormack and I am trying to figure out, okay, who do what schools from the Pac-12 do I want? I think it's a very easy answer. I think it's very easy. You go after the two Arizonas, a top again, top recruiting hotbed, Arizona, Arizona State, you keep that rivalry. If you're only gonna add three, go after Utah. Like go after Utah. Cause then listen, you got BYU and make BYU Utah a rivalry. Like I think it's it's as easy as that. Now, if for some reason Washington and Washington State were interested in joining the Big 12, then yeah, I think you could go after those and keep that rivalry. I think Utah might be even a better I this is controversial maybe to some, but I think I'd rather have Utah than Washington. Um and keep that BY get that BYU Utah rivalry going. But I, I just think Washington and Washington State would most likely, along with Oregon State and Oregon, would probably go to the Big Ten. But if you could have had Utah in the two Arizonas, Arizona and Arizona State, the Big 12 is set. The Big 12 is is set. You don't need to worry about anything. You're going to be a top conference in football. And you're not going to be like, you will get the respect. You'll get all the money. That won't be a, a thing. Then what is the Pac-12 left with? Colorado? I don't care if Dion's there. Like It doesn't matter about that. It's about the grand scheme. Stanford? Cal? And that's pretty much it. Everybody else is going to leave. So it's like, that's, that is the Pac-12's problem, is they did not do what they needed to do. Because guess what? I get it. The Pac-12 is probably like, why are we going to go to Florida get, to get teams? 100%. I'm not, I'm not disregarding that. But once they saw the shift in college football, they should have known, hmm, who should we go get? Who should we go get? I know maybe Memphis isn't on their radio, radar, 
but you should have maybe got Memphis. I mean, that would have, I think, really increased the look of Pac-12. But the problem with Pac-12 is it's pretty much all West teams. So now you're going to Texas. You're getting in that Texas market. All right, what else are you going to do? Who else are you going to add? I mean, you're adding SMU and San Diego State. So whereas the Pac-12, they had an array of different, you know, different time zones. Got UCF, right? You got Houston over in Texas. You got Cincy up in Ohio. You got BYU. Like, they got a range of different teams, which helps them in the long run. Because they guess what? If I'm the Big 12, granted, it's not great in the sense of a bunch of time zones, but if you want to go get a Utah, you already have a team in that market, right? If you want to go Arizona, Arizona State, can you go to get that, right? So... I think it's 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 great for the Big 12, and we've already went too long on this, but I think UCF is in a great position. Well, and the last thing I'll say, sorry, Sean, I'll Very make good. it quick. I mean, it's the difference between being proactive and reactive, right? I think the Big 12 has been proactive. They said, okay, we're losing Oklahoma, we're losing Texas, we're losing two elite football and basketball schools. And what did they do? Brett Yormack called up four schools and said, hey, BYU – Solid program. Provo's a unique place to play. Let's add them in. They took Houston. Houston's been pretty decent at football in recent history. Had Elite basketball school. Let's add them into an elite basketball conference. Took UCF and Cincinnati. Two programs on the rise. Talk of the town over the last several years, right? As far as group of five teams. And they adopted them in. So they got proactive. They did something about losing two of their top teams. Pac-12 really hasn't. USC and UCLA said, hey, peace, we're out, and really haven't done anything about that. And now they're kind of just plowing nothing. They're kind of just, you know, you kind of reap what you sow. You don't really, if you're not really laying the seeds down and trying to grow your conference and trying to go out and get big fish and, and convince teams to join and convince these programs, hey, come try out our program. You know, we're still a, a top five conference. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel now. No disrespect to San Diego State and SMU, if true, but I mean, you're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. You're not being proactive. You're being reactive. You're saying, okay, well, we're losing two big teams, so I guess we got to go out and recruit two new programs. So, yeah, I I think that's where the key difference is. Big 12 proactive, Pac-12 reactive, and it's ultimately going to be why I think the Big 12 comes out sort of the victor in all of this over something like the Pac-12, where I think they're going to really face some trying times in the next five years. It should be really interesting. I mean, as a Big 12, a new member of the Big 12, I think we're all excited to see what potentially could happen. Listen, the more the merrier. Whatever schools you want to get added, add them. If it solidifies you as a Power 5 conference and you don't have to worry about all that hoopla of non-Power 5, Group of 5, I think the Big 12 has set themselves up already but to solidify that, poach those Pac-12 schools, disband the Pac-12 and make it a power forward with the ACC. And then again, you know, go from there. But love what Brett Yormack do- is doing and hopefully can just continue on that. Um, but guys, that's been it for Charge On. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Like, subscribe, share, comment, do all those good things. We appreciate all the support recently, like I said. And we'll be back next week for another episode. This has been Charge On. We will see you next week.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.